0: Hello and welcome to the 19th episode of Pin Count, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast, we'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs and sweat the details. We're not journalists, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Douglas Shearer and I'm here with my co-host
1: Ian Wallace. Good evening. Evening. So, I think tonight we're just going to catch up on a whole bunch of news because we've... Uh, not recording the we have, and there's been all kinds of things, WWDC, Google I.O., Computex, etc, etc. But first I think we should start with some follow-up on the previous episode.
0: Yeah, so this is kind of follow-up because we started to talk about this, but then reckoned the rumours were so vague that it couldn't possibly be true-, true, but it turns out it is true. And it's that Intel are bringing out some i9 CPUs.
1: Some i9s, <laughs> many i9s. <are. laughs> many i9s, yeah, that's more correct, yeah. Yeah, so they've basically, I mean, why they're pursuing the strategy is interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they've got, yeah, i9X and i9Xtreme. And then they're also bringing out Kaby Lake X. which And is they've also the new, got, yeah, sorry, on you go. And Kaby Lake X is not i9, that's just i7s, but with a new, slightly different architecture. So yeah. the,
0: And they've yeah. also actually got Sky Lake X, which are i7 branded.
1: Oh, right, okay. <laughs> and then, oh dear, such a disaster. I mean, so let's just cover off the disaster first, actually. So, I mean, the whole X299 thing. I mean, there's a a nice sort of a half rant, half explaining uh, YouTube video from Linus Tech Tips where he's basically lamenting Intel's strategy, which is well worth a watch. But, I mean, have you watched it? Yeah, I've watched it. It's yeah. quite
0: long, but it does get the point across
1: very well. Okay, so to summarize, his uh, thesis is that this is just Intel responding to AMD which he's arguing is a bad thing because they're not making the best CPUs they can. They're just kind of... So they've announced for some of the high-end chips they've not announced the exact specs or price because they will just pitch it where their spreadsheet says is just a bit better than AMD. Yeah. Um, rather than making the best CPUs they can. Asterix on that because, I mean, you can always go and buy the Xeons if you've got deep pockets. Yeah. And there's no restrictions there. But yeah, basically they've... AMD are pushing out the high core count, so they are as well. So they've taken some of their high core current architectures that are normally only seen in the uh, some of the more specialist Xeons and they're releasing them as i9s. Yeah. So you've got X299s got to support Cable Lake X, which is your kind of four cores, bit like the current i7s. Yeah, they are the chips and, we talked about before. Like the, I think it's
0: seventy seventy six forty k or 7640X, it will be, and 7740X, which is slightly higher clocked top end i5 and i7 cpus from the current generation but on the different socket
1: right and then you've got these new cpus of up to 18 cores very high clocks in some cases and supporting you know quad channel memory and all kinds of crazy things so it's like this is um part of the rant is you can get a, mo- a motherboard has to support all these cpus but then they all support different features so how i mean the pci express lanes range from 16 up to 44 some are quad channel some are dual channel etc etc i mean it's a, for the consumer, it's confusing. I would kind of argue that almost doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think it matters either. I mean, who's buying a $2,000 CPU that isn't capable of working this stuff out? Pretty yeah. much no one. Yeah, and I
0: think I th- the other complaint I saw was the PCI lanes is maybe fair because you plug in a... it's going to be an i7... What was it? 7740X. And you've got 16 PCI lanes so you can run one slot, but the board's probably got another three slots on it and you can't use
1: them. Yeah, and then plus, you know, if you've got a... From the board itself out to the storage and all that. Yes, yeah, so, I mean potentially a bit confusing, but I mean even even if you are buying this and you're not buying a complete system, you are putting it together yourself. You're already that means you're already a bit technical minded. You'll work it out. And to be honest, you work it out once you whack your kit in your box and then you're you're done with it for yeah. you know, six months to a year.
0: Yeah, the other complaint I saw was around um, RAID support, where you've got to buy a RAID key from Intel. I think it's like it's like a hundred dollars or something. Um, if you're buying a, if you're building a two thousand dollar, two thousand pound system, that doesn't seem that expensive to me. But also, who needs multiple NVMe M.2 cards in RAID on a desktop system?
1: Yeah, I, I can think of a few uses, but um, <laughs> it's very I, rare, though. Not yeah, everybody I, needs. It. I have very specialist interests. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, um, just in case anyone's wondering what my <laughs> specialist interests are, processing <laughs> sensor data from a variety of high bandwidth sensors. Yeah. Something I do.
0: So uh, even though this is confusing, I think some of these products are quite exciting. Um, In our Pro Computers episode, I say the thing I'd love is a high core count CPU that could make some of the cores go to a really high clock speed. And there is one of these here. It's the i9-7900X. It's 10 cores, 20 threads, base of 3.3 gigahertz. But it's got a mode called Turbo Max, which is where Intel in the factory choose the fastest two cores on the die and mark them specially. And then with a kernel extension, the OS can schedule two threads to each of those, or it would be four threads to each of those two cores, um, and they get to run at 4.5
1: gigahertz, which is top-end gaming CPU speeds. That is quite exciting. Uh, I mean, they had they kind of had this before. This is just a better implementation of it, I think.
0: Yeah, I think their previous implementation was a single core, and only only Windows ever ever supported it, and lots of people disabled it in the BIOS because it caused issues. This implementation is supposed to be much much better.
1: I would also expect that um, they support it in Clear Linux. Do you know Clear Linux? Uh, no. So, Clear Linux is, for those that don't know, you can Google it in your own time. It's a Linux distribution put together by Intel, specifically targeting performance. Ah, okay. And performance Intel. So, their intended use case is um, mostly data center and server server stuff, stuff where performance per watt really matters. And it's stuff like tuned compilers. Um, they always have the kernel configured optimally for their CPUs and so on and so forth. Yeah. And um, in, depending on... What you're doing there's some pretty serious gains compared to a sort of generic linux distribution i mean i've seen some benchmarks affected by nearly 10 percent um just from a different Linux distribution so and they're only pushing more and more into supporting it because more and more it's become important to support uh high performance stuff on intel um yeah. specifically in terms of stuff like uh which can benefit from optimization like um gem libraries so generalised matrix multiplication libraries for uh, deep learning inference on the CPUs is, is a big deal because not every yeah. machine has GPUs um, so yeah no it's worth checking out if you're interested in performance on uh, Linux at all uh, okay yeah I'll have a nice, look at that yeah. it's, it's been getting more and more popular um, for Linux have some nice benchmarks on it and some stuff they often include it it's a bit of swings and roundabouts some things you get gains some things you don't they often play with the CPU schedulers a bit just to get them optimum for their own chips which makes sense but yeah um, yeah, so a bit bit of an aside there, but um, so the final
0: thing I'll say on these um, CPUs is they all have AVX five twelve support. And... Yeah, this
1: is super interesting. Do you remember a while back when I was digging into the manuals, I saw that they were adding support for operations required for machine learning in the AVX five twelve spec. Yes. Um, again, like yeah, this is this is not, this should not be news to anyone. Every low level chip news we've looked into, someone you know the ARM stuff. the... <laughs> apple's metal stuff which i guess we'll come back to in a bit um you know this is why almost why we started this podcast was noticing stuff like this but yeah it's happening more i also wonder um avx 512 is presumably has applications for video encoding decode which is kind of your wheelhouse
0: yeah especially the um the the matrix multiply stuff is very useful for a uh, h265 i mean you look at how it works um i i, I don't think any of the libraries, any of the open source libraries, yet have support for AVX five twelve? Because there's not enough. No, either nobody has one or has a machine they can test it on, or they just don't think it's worthwhile right now to actually support it. But I've certainly seen people talking about support in both, um, actually, X two six four and X two six five, including libraries.
1: It'll be on all New Zealand, so I think yeah, you know support will come. Yes, yeah, soon. Anyway, so I think that's plenty of follow-up. and it's kind of So, so a lot of this news in the chips was coming out of Computex and Taipei. So maybe it's more natural that we move on to that topic next, about like the other stuff that was going on coming yeah. out of there. So the other interesting thing in Computex, aside from Intel CPUs... Oh, actually, I'm going to get a bit ahead of myself here. I remember another Intel announcement. They're claiming a 30% performance boost for their next-generation processors, which is a bit vague, right?
0: Yeah, this is Coffee Lake.
1: Right, but the exciting thing here is 4 cores, 8 threads, 15 watts. That's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, so that's the...
1: Oh, a bit finally, you know, but... Yeah, it is a bit
0: finally. That, yeah, that's the... So MacBook Escape, like MacBook Pro without the touch bar power class or, Mac, or oh, previously 13 MacBook inch, Air. 13-inch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, quite looking forward to that. I can make a really good machine. The other news that's come out since we posted the link in the show notes is actually Intel have announced that this, this won't be a surprise. This generation is going to be delayed. No. Uh, and then they, they were supposed to be released for Q4... 2017, and they're now down for Q2 2018.
1: Okay, I mean, practically, it doesn't really matter for most people, but it's interesting. Yeah. Um. So the yeah the other computer news is Nvidia are kind of taking uh some of their strategy for their embedded products and expanding it into the laptop stuff. So you could either say this is a new strategy, or you can say it's an old strategy return. So what they're talking about in their branding is um, GeForce Max Q. I think we've talked about in a previous episode their embedded stuff, the Jetson TX1 and TX2 chips, yeah? Yeah. And how the TX2 has two power modes. You can run it in max P, which is max power, it's about 15 watts, and max Q which is a kind of the, the, if you're plotting um, power consumption versus performance it's the kind of a optimal point on that curve. High performance, if not the highest but with good good uh, flops per watt, right? Yeah. Uh, and what this GeForce Max Q is, is they are setting some of their GeForce parts at the max Q point, so that's lower clock speeds but much better efficiency per watt, and then that lets lets them make um, much slimmer uh laptops, basically. With, yeah. So they can so they can basically say you can get a GeForce ten eighty in the sort of envelope that would fit either a, a ten seventy or possibly even thinner before. Now, if I was being cynical, I'd just say this is just the same as when they made uh, the M um, mobile parts before, only they've changed the branding. <laughs> Do you think that's what's actually happened? I thought these were different parts.
0: They've got different numbers of um, CUDA cores and such like.
1: Have they? I thought they were just clock lower.
0: So I think I think these are desktop cards with a desktop number of
1: CUDA cores, but with lower clocks. Yes, yes. So, okay, so you're saying yeah. the previous mobile parts had different numbers of cores. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. I'll put an asterisk on that because if you compared... Um, Like a 970 against a 970M. Yeah, they're different chips, right? Yeah. Even though they have similar names. But there were equivalent mobile parts to the desktop parts. They just didn't have parity in the naming. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah. Whereas now they've got parity in the naming, they just call them Max-Q. Yeah. And they claim it's other stuff as well, like enhanced power delivery and cooling solutions. Like there was, um, was it the Asus or the Acer? Uh, one where you, as you open the laptop, it opens up the back a bit to get more airflow and things like this.
0: Yeah, I think it's an Acer Zephyrus. It's called something like that. And um, we'll we'll li- we'll link a couple of these in the show notes. Where some of them are really nice looking notebooks.
1: They're they're quite interesting in that basically you, yeah, so you can get yeah effectively down a size class. So if something fitted a 10, 1060 before, you can probably get a ten seventy lower clocked. Um, and because you're using these big parts but clocks at a more efficient point in the spectrum for the same power consumption, you get better performance basically that's all it is. Yeah. This is mostly, they're pitching this at the high end, so getting 1080s into very thin 15 inches, which is quite impressive to be honest. Whether or not that's actually a significant performance boost, because depending on what you're doing on a GPU, sometimes you really just want the frequency, right? It's not for a lot of stuff, if if people are wondering about machine learning, memory bandwidth is the thing you care about there. Um, and th- this is an improvement here. You've got wider buses and some of the higher-end parts. I suspect what this is is them getting better yields so they can get them down in price a bit. And, you know, this is another way to have new fancy things. And, you know, yeah. where, where are AMD?
0: Nowhere. Yeah. So, Although Apple still continue to put AMD GPUs no, uh, oh, yeah, problems.
1: we'll get to that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I think you're asking me if I... So, following on from the Pro current episode, I got new work machine. I use a... Uh, GTX 1060 based machine. And you're asking if I regretted not waiting for these? No, because I want a machine, you know, as we get back to the pro things, I want a well supported, well engineered machine that is going to be reliable and that is not the new cutting edge of anything. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, performance in the 1060 in a mobile machine is immense, it's really good. Yeah, so I think that was that was what caught my eye out of Computex. Uh, was there anything else c- catching your eye, or I think that pretty much covers it. Um,
0: I actually didn't think those, uh, the uh, announcements were quite as exciting as they were in previous years. Um, maybe it's just because everyone's been forced. Like I think Intel had leaked a lot of their stuff beforehand, and, and Nvidia had already had their own press things to ha- to talk about, you know, new products. So
1: I'm excited when more sort of workstation and pro type machines come through with the thin and lightness. I mean, you know, we could dream of a 17-inch MacBook Pro with a 1080 in it, right? (laughs) 17 inches. (laughs) No
0: one's going to buy that again.
1: You know, the old tea tray.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Aircraft carrier
1: is what one of my friends used to call it. It's more of
0: a tea tray, I think.
1: But yeah. (laughs) Um, So speaking of Apple, it's been uh, WWDC. Now, only kind of got second hand info and stuff on Twitter as a result of this and I've listened to a couple of podcasts because I've been away at a trade show all last week so I'm just going to rely on you and telling me all about this and what I should care about so okay. do you want to give me a summary and I'll quiz you on it
0: yeah so they're, but they're... <laughs> They announced some new hardware or updates that We'll talk about that at the end and the after show because I don't think it's actually that interesting and lots of other podcasts have covered it pretty well already. Um, We'll talk about some of the sort of developer-y things that were at a developers conference. Um, So things that are relevant to us. So the first up was the ML kit, machine learning kit. And the best way to describe this is is, it's what we talked about last year. It's about giving developers who aren't really well-versed in the world of ML, a way way to take commercial and open-source models and package them away. They can just include them and use them in their application. I saw someone in an editorial describe this as being, um, I remember it was even at one of the Apple talks, um, like the PDF of ML. It's just designed to make it easy to use so people can get it into applications.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it almost is exactly what we discussed, right? They have tools to convert models from cafe or tensorflow or whatever into their proprietary format to yeah. execute on apple devices i noticed uh, was it paul haddad uh, of tweetbot tweeting about uh encouraging developers to respect their users and not include 500 meg models in their uh, yeah yeah things so yeah i mean there's all kinds of ways you can get model size down and this is a fierce it's maybe the right word area of research because of ai and autonomous systems and cars and so on where you know your power constraints and you want to compute things quickly and efficiently, and in mobile as well. So the size will come down. Um, I was impressed that they had an inception network under 100 megs, which is pretty good. A VGG net about 500, but for most cases, it's not necessarily even any better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. This is super interesting. I mean, it's exactly what we predicted back, um, what le- it led us to starting this podcast. So yeah, um, I'm just going to say we told you so 18 <laughs> episodes ago. Yeah, so we just need to
0: guess what they're going to say next year. That's, that's, that's the secret. Um, yeah. Okay, so the, um, the next thing was ARKit, which is Apple's play in the um, augmented reality space. This um, surprised
1: me a bit that they're coming out with this so early, right? Their implementation looks good, but is it going to enable any new types of apps? I don't know. I mean, so what else did they say about this?
0: So I find it interesting that they've brought it out, but they don't have any of their own apps that use it. Like you'd think they'd have like some sort of showcase feature in like Apple Maps or something that would would use these developer features, but they don't. It's like it's like so. A, hold
1: that hold that thought. I've got some wild speculation to engage
0: in. in a moment, <laughs> okay, but... so the other things in the arcade, they did some really nice demos of it. Um, like mostly sort of gamified things where you're you're sort of watching uh 3D game cutscene play out, but in 3D, but on like the table that's in front of you. Um, watching the developer talks, um, they had some really nice tools for um, figuring out the geometry of the space you're in. Um, the method they're using for working that out you might know what this is. Uh, uh, I don't. Know. It's visual inertial odometry, where they right? they use okay. the camera and the gyroscopes in the yeah. Phone. yeah.
1: So that is. It's a classic Apple. Say something that sounds like it's specific and it's exciting, where it's actually a super generic phrase. This is a, a fairly general term. Like if you if you if you Googled that, uh, you'd find papers going back fifteen years. Yeah. What this is is it's interesting. It, it tells tells us something about their implementation. So this basically means you're using visual odometry, is where you use the camera, you check you track features in the scene. Uh, if you want to know what I mean by features, go back to the what is AI podcast episode we did, but basically um, changes in texture or edges of things. And then you can work out how the camera is moving from frame to frame, yeah? Yep. Uh, and then what the inertial part means is you're incorporating an IMU, so that's the gyros and more specifically accelerometers. And the reason you do this is with a monocular image, you can understand how how the camera views the scene and the relationship of things in 3D space, but not the absolute size of anything. You need a real world measurement to get that, okay? Yep. And what does IMU give you? It gives you that real-world measurement it gives you the the main thing you measure on an IMU is the constant acceleration towards the center of the Earth. Yeah, i.e. gravity vector, um, and you can use that, and you can get some some measurements. So this raises some interesting questions. So, so for a start,
0: are you is this your speculation, or are you going to do that later?
1: Uh, I'll fade into it. Okay. But, um, okay. So
0: like I'm going to say like about the the interesting thing here with the AR kit even though they don't have anything of their own to use it right now, is that this gets, like, the big part of their story was power consumption. This gets low power consumption, AR, onto tens, if not hundreds of million de- millions of devices in September, which is yeah. a big thing.
1: And this this is, by the way, Apple's, potential huge advantage in autonomous vehicles is that they can control the silicon as well so they can do this sort of thing efficiently. Yeah. In terms of how accurate they're being, which is quite interesting to anyone who this technically is, I've seen tweets from folk who've been running the test apps and they're getting an error of about three percent on as a function of distance, so like three centimeter error on measuring a one meter. Okay. A one meter object. Which is super impressive from a mono camera. Yeah. Interesting questions that raises to me is do they individually calibrate the lens for each iPhone and then store that information in the ISP or something somewhere? Because that is super... yeah. Because, or, like, that is kind of kind of crazy, right? Because it means they're shooting calibration charts and calibrating each thing as it goes out the door, right? Mm. But on... It also implies they've been doing it for a while if it works on pre-existing devices. Or, is it the case that their manufacturing tolerances are that good that they can maintain very little variance? And... By that good, I mean I've used to using expensive lenses for machine vision, and even then we would still calibrate each lens and each camera pair. You know, each lens on each camera we'd yeah. calibrate differently because it matters if you get them wrong, and matters at level that I would think. So three percent that really is three percent error is really impressive if they're yeah. not calibrating. Especially if cal- such
0: a tiny lens and tiny sensor.
1: Now I expect. It wouldn't surprise me if they're doing some sort of calibration because I imagine, if I was to wildly speculate you can improve quality of images out of a relatively poor lens by calibrating the lens and then correcting in software for the lens distortion. Does that make sense? Yeah, we talked in the
0: last episode about the computational photography angle that Apple are taking with a lot of things. Right,
1: yeah. So this wouldn't surprise me, and then that can decrease our manufacturing costs. And it also means you can squeeze an effective lens in a smaller physical space if part of the lens is in software effectively. Anyone who knows much about cameras is now screaming at the their podcast player, what about micro four thirds? Yep, that's exact <laughs> that's exactly how micro four thirds works. There's lens correction information stored in the lens and as your camera communicates with the lens it applies the it undistorts the image. It rec- well, not rectifies, that's not quite true. But uh, undistorts the image according to the individual lens parameters. Now, I don't think they're calibrated per lens; it's just the general general parameters for that particular lens construction. But still, something like that could be going on here. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's yeah, that's smart thinking. I mean, the, the calibration part could be done completely automatically on the production line.
1: Yeah, uh, so like that's how our uh, hololens is calibrated. They get waved around on the end of a robot arm, basically. <laughs> Look at things, and you can automate the calibration that way. Now to get to this slightly wild speculation, if if you said to me, Ian, this portrait mode on the 7 Plus with the geo cameras is really cool. I want that on a mono camera, regular sized iPhone. Mm-hmm. How do you do it, right? This is how you do it, okay? If you have a solution for visual inertial or od- odometry, you don't even need the inertial part. It doesn't need to be scaled. You just need to understand the shape of the scene. Um, then you can do what's called either a dense or sparse reconstruction of the 3d shape of the scene so instead of doing stereo between two points in space but at the same point in time yeah. i.e., an image of each camera you do two points in space at a different point in time because you've recorded the camera motion
0: right so they do have a thing like this i was wrong in the camera section they shoot off new filters that allow you to do things regardless of which phone it is um like, um, take a picture of a scene and have, like, some of it be long exposure and some of it be not long exposure.
1: Right, Except- but that's, that's just suggesting they've got better segmentation. What I'm talking about is doing a depth effect yeah. based on blurring because you because you can segment the scene according to the motion of the camera. Now, it would be interesting because if they do do things like that, you could break them by putting the phone on a tripod. Right. Because you'd no longer have two points in space separated by a point in time. yeah. Um but for most people nearly all shooting is handheld, so you know. You, i mean even you could even do super clever things if you can do it low power enough, like as you're lifting the phone, you know how you get the lift to turn on phone thing? Yep. Just start grabbing images so by the time the camera's open you've already got a depth math of the scene. Mm. Things like that. I mean there's all kinds of exciting things if you can get the power consumption down long enough. The I mean just the phone can understand its environment better. Yeah. So there's
0: something related to this, and especially that lifting the phone up and just starting to record images that um, we'll come back to in two items' time.
1: All right, so I think that's all. I mean, I could speculate for days on the sort of thing you can do with this technology. It's literally my job, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this, so I noticed you put, uh, mentioned the eGPUs on here. This was interesting.
0: Yeah, so this is something Apple we're quite excited to announce, um, it's obviously something that People have sort of hoped it would do for a long time. People have hacked it together. We've talked about it. And it's putting a, a GPU in an external Thunderbolt enclosure. Um, and with the new version of their macOS, oh, I, I barely want to say the name, um, Hi Sierra, um, it's going to support eGPUs. So they have a developer kit that you can get, which is an AMD RX 580 and a Sonic a Sonic
1: enclosure. And there are still- is from what I gather, and I would guess this anyway, I've not seen the keynotes, but you have. You can maybe answer this. Their story is mostly about VR here, which it, would be aligned with AMD's marketing message. Yeah, yeah. It's more. It's more. It's mostly about VR
0: and there's, yeah, VR content creation. Um, at the moment, it's a bit. It's not the fully polished thing. It sounds like they're going to have it com- these issues solved by September, but at the moment, you've got to log out and log back in to get it to recognize the GPU or to use it.
1: Use it completely. That's not too bad. It's better than you know a full reboot. Yeah, I mean you, the only thing I know that there's hot plugging actually is the Razer systems. Yeah, and there's not so, much more to say on this because
0: there's not much, they haven't actually released much more information.
1: The development kits are actually good. You get
0: a hundred, I think it's the five hundred or six hundred. I think it's six hundred dollars. So you get the RX five eighty, you get the Sonnet, and you get a hundred dollar discount voucher for the HTC Vive,
1: which is not bad. Although a new ver, I'd expect a new version of Vive real soon now because Valve. Have announced dev details just to dive it off into a tangent and <laughs> connect some dots. Um, that's what we do. Um, in their dev literature, Valve have talked about um, the Steam VR tracking version two, which will be the the next generation of the tra- of the Lighthouse hardware for tracking Vives, which is different and not backward compatible. Uh, have I got that right? Yeah, or sorry, not. As an old lighthouse, systems won't work with new Vibes. I think I've got that right around. I'd have to check, but anyway, different tracking hardware for the Vibes, so there might be a a bump on the Vive spec sometime soon. Okay, cool. And it's, it's to better support um like time series multiplexing and whatever to have multiple lighthouses running to to allow larger areas to be covered. Okay, and they're mechanically simpler as well—one rotor instead of two inside the uh, lighthouse. But I'm getting way on a tangent here. <laughs> anyway, my point is, the might. I would not be surprised if there was a bump to the Vive real soon now. So a slight discount on it is not surprising. But then at the same time, yeah, also. But I don't know, $600 for an RX 580, you could just...
0: Well, okay, so this is another tangent. At the moment, you can't buy an RX 580 even if you really want to because the price of Bitcoin is really high and the exchange rate on Bitcoin is really high. And when that happens, other cryptocurrencies also spike in value. If Ethereum and one of the other cryptocurrencies, or probably multiple other of them, um, are resistant to um, hashing, uh, the the hashing computation, mining, whatever you want to call it, um, using ASICs, you have to use a GPU or something more general. Um, and RX five or four eighties and five eighties are some of the best performance per watt per you know per pound of or dollar of purchase price. Um, so they're pretty much out of stock everywhere. So. If you bought the external enclosure the RX 580, sold the RX 580 for way more than it's actually worth, got your HTC 5 with a $100 off and then put an NVIDIA card in there, you'd be making money. Be off to the races. Off the races. I
1: thought you were going to say pull the RX 580 and just fill that enclosure with PCI Express SSD.
0: That's another nice option. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me. Um, uh, okay, so the next thing we've got is Apple announced really wide support for um, H.265 or a.k.a. KB Lake everywhere, I guess. Yeah, or H-E- HEVC. And their their adoption story was really good. Yeah, if you've got KB Lake on the new machines that they announced this week, last week, um, you get full 10-bit um, encoding support as well as the hardware decoding. If you've got the previous gen Skylake, you get um, 8-bit encoding and hardware decoding. Um, yep. And if you've got stuff before that, they've got software to do that, older CPUs. Oh, I mean, a mean, of performance chugs on that, though. Yeah, it no. will chug, yeah. You, yeah I've, I've, ugh, last week I did some encoding, and yeah, it's not pretty. Um, and then on the phones, if you've got, an, I, I think it's a 6 or a 6S Plus, you get hardware decoding. Before that, it's software, which will properly chug, even for decoding. And then if you've got a 7, it will do 10 bit well, encoding. Hang
1: on. Some parts of H.265 have had support for ages because we discussed this. how It's been in QuickTime for a long time, and uh, sorry, not QuickTime, in FaceTime for a long time.
0: Yeah, internally, not as part of any of the developer tools. Yeah, or APIs. Yeah, they have they have used it themselves so for a limited long
1: time. decode support is in there going back quite a while. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then on the iPhone Seven, it will it will record by default H.265 videos, which they're saying gives them I think like a forty to sixty percent space saving. Um, yeah. it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, super nice. And to go with that, they've got um a new it's not a, it's not their image format, it's someone else's. Um, no, it is. The container's called HEIF, H E I F, um high efficiency image format, I guess it is. Yeah. Um and then they're using H two six five's spatial image encoding uh, and compression to actually compress the images and then
1: store them in that container. No, that's um, a container for video and images. And this is also bringing with it from what I understand what people think is going to be uh, basically full resolution on each frame of a live photo
0: yes this is what I was saying is the thing I would get back to in the next topic is that it seems that now they can just they just record a full frame H.265 video and stick it in a container and that's your live photos
1: I wonder what um, I need to dig into this back in the code but I wonder if you could put depth information in this container as well it wouldn't surprise me if they have support for time series metadata like that
0: yeah But certainly this is quite interesting. This is another case where in September there's millions of devices that support um, H.265. And I had a look at the statistics for the customers we serve. And actually, if there is the sort of adoption rate of new operating systems in September that there often is, there is actually an almost immediate benefit for people vending video to actually start having a second encoding H.265.
1: That's interesting. So I imagine you'll have some more information on the details of the, what Apple are doing uh, in a future episode when you've dug into the details some more. Oh,
0: well, so there is... I do know a bit more about this. So they're, um HLS, which is Apple's own... It's not proprietary, but open source um, stream format for doing live video, um, it mm-hmm. already supports the H.265 if your machine oh, wow. supports it. So they, they just announced that straight off. Um, last year, they actually announced the H.264 MPEG-4 support. Which is quite exciting because it saves doing two encodes, and then this is kind of the same thing again. it means you've got not only do they have the platform to serve, but they have the method for you to serve it without any mucking about. Okay. So it's a really, really well thought out. This is the thing I'm most likely to use of all the announcements. It's a really well thought out, like top to bottom. Um, here's all the tools for developers. Here's a here's a platform you can actually use it on. You know, starting in September, it's quite exciting.
1: Okay. Um, also, in the media front, there adding analytics into their own podcast app. Um, so, you know, people can measure where people are skipping, listen rates, all this stuff. Which I'm, I'm kind of a bit, yeah, on. I think the people this is
0: for, this is for your, like, massive podcast where they're looking to get, like, Coke or someone on board as a sponsor. Most, yeah, what, of, most of the sort of smaller, medium, and especially tech podcasts... The, the sponsor reads have a specific URL on them so they can gather data about how many people have listened and, you know, did they listen to the ad and did they actually take action on the ad. So the advertisers have already got that information. It's the big companies where they're not going to have that custom URL. They want yeah. that data.
1: Um, I guess we might investigate it just because we have a podcast and it's fun to look into the details. Yeah, I think we've um, got a,
0: a fun opportunity to just actually see this working for real.
1: Yeah, Yeah. don't, don't expect it to affect our uh, editorial content, though.
0: not too much and then I think think we've skipped over in the list here is that Apple in the WWDC keynote and then afterwards um, with some nice tech what's the word, explainers blog posts on the WebKit blog they're they're now saying Safari's the fastest ECMAScript, ECMAScript 6 browser, which is the next generation of JavaScript, by quite a way it's quite a significant lead they've got over the likes of Chrome and such like
1: have they actually got hard numbers in here rather than just Bezos graphs? They've, but, yeah. got, they've got hard numbers, yeah.
0: Because you can run these yourself. It's not a, not like a Oh, these thing.
1: graphs are only going against WebKit nightlies. Have they got this against?
0: <laughs> yeah, someone had it against Chrome
1: and... Oh, they've um, got Chrome in there.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. they're not shy about these things usually.
1: Ooh, Firefox is not coming out well in this. No.
0: So the, the WebKit team, that we've talked about it before with their... Um, LLVM compiler for JavaScript, like just-in-time compiler that's actually part of Safari just now. Um, and this just takes that to another level of the sort of um, compilation methods that they're using.
1: I think the final bit of the news we've got is all the stuff coming out of Google I.O., which is a while ago now. But I mean, this basically... The interesting thing here is uh, the next generation of Google's TPUs, we've talked about them before. Um, they talked a bit more detail about them. They can now be used for training as well as inference, which is a big deal. And they're now offering it on their cloud service, which means you know you or I can get access to them, which well, is quite nice.
0: The cloud, the, the cloud story is a bit strange just now, and I think it's due to yields or how many they've got. You've got to actually be a researcher and apply for it. Um, I think at some point in the future it will be bigger and you can just use it as part of the Google cloud service.
1: But there's a really nice, uh, the next platform, they've got, uh, put, a, put a link in there, they've got some really in-depth articles on on exactly how how they work in a bit of a criminology based on photos of the photos of the boards and things. And yeah. it's, it's super interesting to read through just to just to get some informed speculation on how uh, modern high-performance computers can be put together. It's, yeah. it's just interesting from that point of view.
0: Yeah, the the criminology is really interesting. I mean, this is just an example of one of the things they look at just based on the photographs of the boards. They reckon that each TPU sort of like. Server box thing is being shared between two different x86 servers, which involves some interesting switching and stuff. Um,
1: well, it, did you see the previous work that Google Research pub- published on, like fuzzing PCIe switches? This this would be what it's for. Yeah, yeah. yeah suggested some odd um, odd uh, PCIe express nonsense. So there's there's a lot of very interesting, unusual computing stuff going in there. I mean, previously we've we've talked about unusual computer architectures and so on, and this is this definitely cla- ca- the classes as that. Thanks for listening to Pincount. The show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore accidental, and you can find Doug at Douglas F. Shearer. You can follow the show at Pincount Podcast. We really love to get feedback, so uh, do tweet us or use the hashtag AskPincount, or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you've got longer feedback or if you just can't explain how wrong we got something without reference to the API documentation and CAD drawings email us at wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com.
0: woo love to get feedback
1: yeah we like what? you <laughs> said woo love to get feedback <laughs> I agree with that sentiment I stand behind it I'm not editing that out. <laughs> um, anyway why have you put the title for this as there are only two hard things in computer science
0: Ah, oh, that was a reference to the well to the name Hi Sierra for the new Mac operating system, which I still think is a, ter- a terrible name. And then, what's their speaker thing called? Um, HomePod, HomePod, which is actually growing on me. I think it's fine. That's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Just when they first announced it, it was just like that doesn't like it. I just seemed like they were going to call it Siri or just call the thing Siri. But then I,
1: I don't know. I think Siri might be a tarnished brand. That might be why not. Yeah, they didn't make much
0: mention of it. They certainly pushed the music thing and went, ah, oh, yeah, you can sort of talk to it and I'll give it's about, answers, Okay, but...
1: put it this way. It's about music. Who loves iPods? Everybody loves iPods. Yeah. Who loves Siri? Nobody.
0: Nobody, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, because everyone tried it in 2010 just once.
1: Yeah, the other hardware, new iPads and iMac Pro. So you're ordering an iMac Pro, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think they are very the hardware that is in them is actually the hardware that I would make me think about buying a Mac Pro but it, it it's trapped in that screen
1: sorry you need a new, new monitor too you need a new monitor too <laughs> but i'd rather they weren't the same thing right but given that the screen is compared to the pricing on a Mac Pro you can bet that screen is free
0: yeah oh yeah it's free people have already done the maths on comparing it to like HP workstations and such like and that screen is free more than free um yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting product. Um, it does make me wonder who the Mac Pro is actually going to be for, because w- it would seem that this makes meets the need of most of the people who would previously used a Mac Pro, and I mean, like, creators and such. like.
1: Well, presumably it was supposed to, right? Because they've only recently started talking about the Mac Pro coming back. So, And this must have been in development for a while. I think the answer could be if VR is successful, they'll put multiple GPUs in there and they'll target VR content creation on the Mac Pro. Yeah. Because with VR content creation, what comes with that? You need more GPU power. That's us fit in a couple of them. Uh, disk space and disk IO speed, especially when you're doing things like motion capture, so where you're capturing, uh, not traditional motion capture, but VR-style motion capture, where you have these enormous camera rigs of perhaps hundreds of DSLRs all pointed around an area so that a person can act in them and be recorded in 360 VR. Yeah. And that's enormous bandwidth requirements for that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So the other slightly smaller thing from WWDC was the new iPad.
1: Oh, they tempt me.
0: The interesting thing here is the 120Hz refresh rate. And I've seen today people have actually started to get some of them and they're saying it really is the sort of deal that Apple are making it out to be.
1: Yeah, the embargo has lifted. I mean, more temporal resolution always helps. Really, really does. it make, Because it's not just things seeming smoother. It's if you've got any sort of motion and gradients and smooth lines and it'll make colours look better just because the... The updates are smoother. Yeah. And your eye is very sensitive to that sort of thing. It tempts me just because using the big iPad Pro always felt it was just too heavy for like content consumption, which is a lot of what I do on an iPad. Yeah. But the big screen was nice. And this is a, this is barely heavier than an Air 2 and a bit bigger. So that seems like a win win for me. Yeah.
0: If you watch the um, uh, the talk show, do a live show at WWDC every year now. And now they seem to get um, Craig Federighi and, oh, what's his name? Um, other Apple executive head of marketing. Phil Schiller, um, they get him on and they were talking about the new iPad in 120 hertz and um, Craig Federighi said that they actually had a prototype of that three years ago. It was basically just a screen rigged up to a Mac Pro to get the graphics power r- running the screen so they could scroll through. Th- yeah, to graphics get the graphics power. power. <laughs> <laughs> right, so they could scroll <laughs> scroll through it, that, like documents at 120 hertz and they said, this is amazing. We need to get this in in i prod i you know i iOS products so like how do we do that and he talks about they had to do like custom silicon obviously um, and then just the whole software stack had to be rewritten to actually get everything because 120 hertz is the 8.3 milliseconds per frame so you need you know everything needs to be stripped out to make that work really well I don't
1: know you've seen the performance numbers on the new iPad Pros are insane Yeah you posted I some guess. links Something earlier, earlier. Yeah. yeah yeah but um is it tomorrow the new iPad Pros are out
0: I'm not sure, I didn't follow it at all.
1: Should I check? A Tuesday,
0: it should make sense. It probably is
1: a Tuesday. I'm I'm, going to check now.
0: Okay, while you're doing that, the other thing they talked about was that in iOS, is it 10.3? They rolled out their new file system to everybody. But it turned out that actually, for the last two or three point releases, they've actually been rolling out the file system to everyone in every point release, doing the conversion and then throwing it away, or doing the conversion, verifying it, and then throwing it away during the upgrade process.
1: Yeah, it's mad.
0: It must. I mean, it's safe because it's a you know, it's not a. They're not doing like a destructive operation, but at the same time, that is one of the largest um, verification tests I've ever heard of of anything.
1: Oh, they sh- they ship on. The new iPad Pro ship on Wednesday. Okay. So I've got two days to decide if I'm going to wander over to the Apple store and (laughs) buy one on Wednesday. (laughs) Ten minutes from where I work.